bit exciting. <laughs> Welcome to Western Sydney MRC. Oh, thank you. This podcast series leverages the beauty and richness of culture, diversity, and highlights the many stories that make up Western Sydney. We want to break through the stereotypes of what it means to be Australian and celebrate the strengths and uniqueness of our vibrant, thriving community. This is Same Same Different. This is Western Sydney. Share your journey. Tell your story. Speak your mind. Find your voice. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Who are you? Okay, so I am Zina Al-Haidawi and I am a Western Sydney University student I'm doing social work. I'm in my third year and uh, I'm from Iraq and I've been in Australia for six years now. How old were you when you first came to Australia? Uh, I was 16 years of age when I came to Australia and then I've done one year of uh, IEC, Intensive English Centre, and then I did year 10, year 11, year 12, so then transferred to uni, so I chose to do Bachelor of Social Work. Is that something that you're excited about? I'm really passionate of doing this, and like I'm looking forward to inspiring people in any kind of way, like any services or any stuff they need to like empower them to and support them to speak up for themselves or to guide them how to get services or how to be strong, how to face the difficulties of the life. Your experience makes you a great person to be able to help exactly. along that journey as well. Exactly, because of the experience that I've been through throughout my life, even like when I was little, it has gave me that passion of doing this kind of work and being able to to help people to minimize their pain that they're experiencing because it's not the end of the world. I want them to see like, I am one of you guys. I've been like throughout like what you've been through. So it's it's okay. So we have to work hard, like not to look back of what we've been through, but look forward and do your best like to climb up for your dreams and your success. What an amazing message to send out there. It's truly inspiring. My biggest dream is, like, to help as much people as I can. Like, I, I don't really know if you heard of the warrior princess, Zina, the warrior princess. I would really yeah, like to be her. that kind of person, <laughs> but not a warrior princess. Like, the strong person who, who very known, like, across the world or across Australia, let, let's say. Sure. Like, to help people, like, as much as I can. So there is no limit for my support and help for that. So would you like to share your journey with us, your story? Do you you have a name for your journey? Well, actually, I don't really have a specific name for it, but I am happy to share it with you guys, yeah. We're we're extremely humbled and very excited. All right. So first of all, uh, the war started in my country, Iraq, while I was eight years of age. So I actually grew up in a war situation and an extremely fearful like environment, fearing of people around us because you not know like if the people you're facing with in your everyday life, if they are the people you can't trust easily, if they can protect you easily or not. So even even with the war situations and in the in the bad times that we've been through, 
I've committed to work, like to do finish off my studies. I, I never stopped my studies at any point. And I was one of the top five students across the school, across like the whole year, my grades. So I was very known, well, well known in my success. And uh, sometimes I use my studies as as like a recovery point or something that takes me out of the thinking of hero and uh, any bad times. So not to think of all the bad times that I've been through. So I focus on studies so I can, you know, like clean up my mind. That's one way of how I use studies to help me like go over like the difficulties. As a child, I've experienced a really bad times and I still remember some of the really bad memories. So when there is some time, I remember there were the police. We were studying me and my sister, my, and we heard some footsteps over the roof of the house. So we, it was nighttime and there was no electricity. So we used to have a little fire and so we can read like of the light. So we heard those footsteps and we thought it might be a dog or a cat or something. It was winter and dark and, you know, and then we suddenly hear the door was knocking and there were the police. They were coming over. They collected us all in one room in a corner and they saying there is a terrorist escaped from us and going over your roof. So it might be in your rooms. You, you might be hiding that terrorist like in your rooms and probably in the bed or something. And they actually checked the whole house. They checked everything and... It was not nothing. It was hiding under the roof and jumped over the other roofs of the other neighbors. So that was one time of, I can't actually forget these memories. Imagine if that terrorist like came down to the house and probably killed us. Yeah. Hearing that part of your story, mm. you're processing that as a as an adult. Yeah. I guess as a child, that must have been extremely scary. Exactly. And, um, and your sister is younger or older? I'm the youngest of my family, so they are all older than me. So yeah. five years, six years older and stuff. But even like the situation when the, all the police came over like to knock on the door of the house and it was night, dark time. And you know how the police, when they came, like it is actually scary itself. Even if you haven't done anything. Yeah, it's been a lot we've gone through. Even like I am Mandayan and my religion is minority in Iraq. So I have experienced a lot of discrimination and racism because of that, because we were minority. So we're not being accepted by the community around us. So we've been faced so much threats and other kind of discrimination. So there was one time we had to wear hijab scarf, like to cover our faces, like to cover our hair and not to look, we are not Muslim. You know what I mean? We're not showing our real religion to protect ourselves. As we believe, it is one of the oldest religions on earth, and we follow God, and we follow the prophet the John the Baptism. But it is actually a minority. It is small groups of people, but it is distributed throughout the whole world. Like in each country, you find like a few families of us. Actually, Australia has the largest population of Mandayan people at the moment. And you're an extremely close community from, from my experience. Would you be able to talk a bit more about um, the Mandan community in Australia? 
The Mandayan community, they always love to be surrounded by each other, like close to each other. So in case they fear of, they may not understand the other cultures or they may have uh, difficulties of engaging with other cultures or probably other cultures would, would not accept them because of the experiences that we had in our country. So they always have that kind of fear inside them. But they are very smart people. They are very committed to work. And so many of them, they are they have their PhD, they are professors, they finish up their bachelor degrees. They, they really look for work to do something, even voluntary work. If they don't even get paid, they just enjoy doing it. They don't really like just sitting and not doing anything. So you talked about the mundane faith being persecuted in Iraq and yeah. some, some really scary things happening yeah. when you were young. What happened then that led your family to leave Iraq? The fear came very closer than it was before. So when we had some hand print, it was like painted by red colour and it was painted on the, on the door, on our house door, the main gate. And there was cross sign on the on the gate as well at the same time and we've received an envelope there was a shot in it and then we had to leave because of the majority of my house were like girls only like we were very persecuted in there because we may get kidnapped at any point so my family decided to leave soon as possible so we have gathered like not like the everything, but just the important stuff, our documents and things. So early in the morning, we left our country and we traveled to uh, to Jordan, just looking for peace. And you said that you could only pack a few things. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine being given that decision about what to take and what not to take. Can you maybe perhaps just explain a little bit more about that, what you chose okay. or perhaps what your family chose were the important things to take? Well, like mainly we've taken the main documents, the, the most important documents that we should have, like passport, the citizenship and any other stuff. And secondly, clothes like for winter and summer, because when we decided to go to Jordan, we have no idea for how long we're going to be there for. So we have to be prepared for summer and winter at the same time because we don't have much money and we don't think that we're going to have work in there in Jordan to be able to provide financial support. So we have to be prepared for all of this stuff. So we left so much. We left so much. Like, you know, like I still remember I used to, to sleep every single night with my teddy bear. And when we traveled... I left, I had to leave it because it was a bit big. So my dad said, like, we don't have enough space to take it. So leave it, we'll get you another one. But until now, until this time, I still remember my teddy bear and I always talk to them. I need that one. So, yeah, like we left our photographs, our like the memories that we have, you know, like the main stuff. But I also got something like which I really appreciate. I'm thankful to get that. I didn't leave it there. I have a little memory book. I used to have since my primary school and I always used to ask my teachers and my friends with every end of semester to write something for me. So they have like little leaves of flowers or something they've written on it and they stick it on that little book. So until now, it was colorful and so much writings in it. And until now, I still have it. And always when I when I open it, like it takes me back to those memories. I'm so thankful that I bring it. My house used to be in a corner of a street. 
and we had an empty space like close to us. So the tourists been coming over this empty space like twice a week, every single week, and throwing booms from this place to another areas. So the other areas used to throw back at them. So, you know, and we're in here. And every time when this happens, like we feel the house is breaking over us. We're going to be killed like at any point, at any, at any time. If we sleep, we may not wake up. But even though we didn't actually stop studying, we didn't stop going to school, we didn't give up. Well, do you feel like you were forced to grow up quicker you know, being an eight-year-old, dealing with such um, an enormous, I guess, situation, how, how did that affect you kind of being a child? It actually made me so much stronger than before. Even I sometimes I feel like I lost my youth time or my childhood, like fearing or stuff. But at the same time, I feel like now when I compare myself to my other friends who are similar to my age, they look so much childish than me, than I do, because I feel like I have so much knowledge than they do. I have I have been through so much bad stuff than they do, but it, it made me so much stronger. Even like when I meet so, much, so many of my friends, if they are older than me now at this time, I feel like I always empower them. I always advise them with good knowledge because of the experience that I've been through, I always take advantage of it. Now I am in a better place. I am in a better situation. So I can share my story to to let them like know about what's going around the world it seems with all the experiences that you've shared so far that you look at how you can make best of those situations exactly how you can use that to fuel your your passion your energies empower other people i think it's extremely inspiring and i think many could learn from exactly from yeah really similar yeah how beautiful. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, when you, when you left in that moment, did you think that you'd perhaps go back to those things, to that house, or did you know that you were going forever? Actually, it was the worst feeling ever, like when we left at that time, because when we left, we knew that there was no going back point. It might be in the future when Iraq go, goes better, like the situations will be better, but it's until now, it's been... Eight years now, when I left, since I left Iraq until now, but there was, it's going worse than better. I always wish, I always wish to even to visit Iraq for like a few days only, but you know, like if the situation is not peace for us, so yeah. But it was one of the hardest moments. It sounds really difficult. Mm-hmm. So you left Iraq, you left early in the morning, was it? Yeah, it was early in the morning, it yeah. was around six o'clock like only the sun just rises yeah. and and you had to take a small amount of things you had to go through this very hard yeah. process of leaving things behind yeah. and then you arrive in Jordan yeah what's waiting for you in Jordan when you get there what happens next my oldest sister was was living there like two years before us so we we stayed with her like for one week then we find our own apartment so we rented even there like as soon as we arrived to Jordan, my parents decided, like, I'm not going to leave my studies. I was the only one, because I was the youngest. All of my other sisters were, like, up to university age. Dahlia had already graduated, and the other sister was first year of uni, and then she was drawn off uni because of we traveled. So I was the only one at school age. So my parents decided not to leave me to sit and do nothing. So 
I have enrolled into school. I did year nine and year 10 at Jordan. It was even harder than the experience that I've been into when I was in my country. Because because of the, the amount of discrimination that I've faced was incredible. As I said earlier, because uh, I was from a minority religion, and another thing, I was Iraqi. I wasn't accepted in Jordan. I wasn't accepted with the whole classmates. And another thing, I was one of the best students, but they always rejected me. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. So How did that make you feel? It was so bad. Like, at one time I had to, to ask my dad to come to me, to come with me to school and to speak to the principal. So if they want to stop doing this with me, I would leave school. Yeah, and I, I can't remember, there was one time, it, it's really pain, like, when I remember, it's so painful. There was a cl- there was a teacher coming, it was the introduction, like, beginning of the session, and she said, like, who came first in this class? And I, I did put my hand up, I was first, I was one of the best students always. I put my hand up, and she said, like, you came from Iraq, did you? I said, yes, then she said, like, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the race of the Jordanian people. Then, all right, thank you. <laughs> Then that was one of the other memories, the, the bad memories that I have. They they don't acknowledge my presence like I was there. I was one of them. And I was so friendly with them. I was so lovely with them, with all of them. Even with the bad thing that they gave me, I always was good with them, towards them. So it's almost as if, well, it is the case that you were being discriminated against yeah. in Iraq because you were from a minority. Exactly. And then once you moved to Jordan seeking safety, you were discriminated against because you were... Yeah. Iraqi. Same thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That must have been really challenging. Exactly. Yes, it was. How did your family deal with that? They were feeling so much pain. Like sometimes I feel like they were blaming themselves for asking me to go to school in there because there was so much, so many times I came back to them. I'm not going to school. I don't want to go to school anymore because I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm getting the best grades, but the teacher, even the teachers, they're not recognizing me in there. So what's the point of me going there? But they were pushing me, pushing me, pushing me, like not to leave school because they're saying we don't have anything to do. Like we don't have work. We don't have anything at home. So what are you doing if you stay home? So they were feeling so bad about this. And at the same time, they were so supportive. They were, like, trying to teach me. They were to always listen to me. My mom, like, used to be a, a counselor back in Iraq. And she always listens to me. She always advised me. She always encouraged me and like, to do my best. She never, like, let me give up at one point. If she, she sees me, like, she will start, like, supporting. It, sound, it sounds like you've taken that from her. Exactly. Even <laughs> I've chosen even the same pathway that she did. Mm. Like, yeah. I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> it sounds like you have a great relationship with your, your parents, yeah. especially yeah. your mum, and yeah. um, it sounds like you idolise her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I do. She sounds like a great woman. She oh, does. thank you. <laughs> she literally is, yeah. And you said your parents said to you, you know, we're not working here. Yeah. They weren't able to work in Jordan? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. the, the Jordanian way of life, like for refugees people they always think of iraqi people or refugees they taking their own job opportunities so they always reject any refugees or any iraqi people to be in the workplace right yeah at what point did your parents decide to leave jordan then 
soon as we entered like so, soon as we arrived to Jordan we we decided like to apply for the United Nations and we picked Australia to come to as one of our most favorite countries it's not only favorite because we have the majority of our extended family in here so it was much better to pick Australia than any other countries because we don't have much family like any social support will be provided for us so yeah like around two years later we have nothing from the United Nations like we no contact no nothing no interviews no nothing so we're just waiting for nothing we have no idea where we're going and they just keep calling us for going to US to America and then we refused because we don't have any any family members in there or anything so gonna we thought it's gonna be hard for us so yeah so we decided to come here and two days later we two years later I mean we arrived here yeah and when you got that news what was that like like take us through that moment oh my god oh, it was so funny because uh, let me tell you, when we received a call from the Australian embassy in Amman, they're saying you have your interview in the Australian embassy that's in Jordan, in Amman, that will be on the 1st of April. That was so funny because as soon as my dad turned the phone off, I told, I told him, Dad, are you serious? That might be someone is getting with you. It's April Fool's. It can't be real. It can't be real. We're having our... May, like our big day in that day on the on, on the April Fool it was so funny and so like and my dad was like listening to me are you serious they can't joke with us dad they joke probably someone took the phone and changed their phone numbers to private number and they're telling us this that would be a very cruel treat that was so funny and I was even like when we came to the Australian embassy dad told the taxi driver to stay like in the door probably if we kicked out if we were kicked out from the embassy we'll go back because <laughs> I was telling dad that they are lying to us it's the, the April Fool's it can't be real. <laughs> it was so funny. And then it was real. It was real. It ended up real. And Thank then goodness. two months later, after this, we left Jordan. Two months later. Yeah. It was one of the best days. Was it... It must have been exciting. Did you have any nervous anticipation of coming to Australia? Yes. Which was, you know, so different, obviously, from being in Jordan, Iraq, different language everything would have been new, right? Yeah, because yeah. I was so nervous at that time and so stressed because always when we when we used to hear about Australia, it's the most far away continent and place all over the, the world. No one can go there easily and no one can come back from it easily. So it was one of the hardest things to, to imagine. We're leaving everything here, all the Middle East, like... Even like if we go to Germany or Sweden or any other country, it's only two hours, three hours maximum, like in the airplane. So we will be there easily. But in Australia, it takes us two days or probably more. Like no one can take that risk to come back. If we're going there, we're going to prison. We can't come back. I was so, <laughs> I was so nervous to think about this stuff. And yeah. Like how to learn the language, how I'm gonna make new friends, am I gonna make am I gonna experience the same discrimination that I've been through like in, in my country in Jordan and do I have to make another new friends and do they have to be aggressive with me again? It is so bad to think of all of this stuff. Does that then mean that the 
that the preparation that you were given, like information about Australia, there wasn't, you weren't, weren't given any kind of... Uh, after we had the interview, they give us like one week of like workshops, like two, uh, I mean, yeah, two weeks of full days, five days a week, and it has to be like all information about Australia. They teach us like, but it was mainly about the, the rules in here. They make it very strict for us. Like when I remember, like when I look back at these workshops, it used to be all about we have to follow the rules. We have to cross like the lines. We have to be on the platform. We have to be walking that way. We can't do this. We can't like in our culture, like we used to kiss or hug some some people like for showing them like to say hi to them. But in here, we can't do anything. Like they, they may be, they find it offensive for them. We can't touch them. We can't do anything. So we have like to be uh, respectful. We can't say anything. Uh, we can't ask them about their age. We can't ask them of what they like or stuff. So they make it very strict. And we just follow the rules. We just follow the rules, but it was actually useful at some point when they teach us about the, the council and the stuff. When we have like one day a week, we have the recycle and the rubbish bin and the other week it has to be the, the garden and the thing because we didn't used to have this stuff. I love that that's what you've remembered about recycling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was one of the, the most stuff that I remember. Even like with the driving lessons and stuff, they give us like a bit of knowledge. We have to study first and we have to do this exam, this exam, this exam in order to get the license to drive. I mean, it sounds like in a way very practical information, but I wonder what your perception of Australia was following that introduction, having mm. come from a place, you know, living in two places with two vibrant cultures, mm. seeing Australia as this regimented rule book, that mm. must have been quite bizarre. Yeah, yeah. It is actually, like, stressing and challenging at the same time. Um, are we going to be able to to challenge ourselves to use and settle in this situation, in this environment? Is it going to be easy for us to seek help if we need to? Is it going to be easy for us to 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 work is it going to be easy for us to study or what other the procedures that we have to follow in order to do this stuff yeah it wasn't easy and then so you get to australia mm. when you first arrived what was that first impression of australia well it's a new country it's like the western society it is real <laughs> the western society that we used to see in the movies but now it is real. Like we have like the grass, the gardens, and the flowers and stuff. Like, but the air was a bit different, you know. Like, it smells different. You kind of like feel you're safe. It is the place that you chose to be, and you're here. You're safe now. Like there is no pressure. But at the same time, you have that feeling. Are you gonna be able to survive? Are you gonna be able to keep on going, or is it gonna be too difficult for you? So that's challenging feeling that happens. Yeah, but I made it. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and your studies, I mean, you talked about them being really important for you as a child. They were really prioritised by your family. Yeah, exactly. Was study something that continued with you when you arrived in Australia? You got straight back into it? Yeah, yeah. I've continued my studies. I didn't actually stop. I didn't have a break. And... So it's, it's, there is no limit of doing this. So always have hope, always have goals to work towards it. Don't live like with nothing, no goals, because you, you have nothing to work for. So there's no point of you coming here. 
So you're just wasting your time for nothing. Yeah. That's some solid advice. <laughs> I'm not often speechless, but yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I think many people can take that on board if they can take that on board. And, and that's a great mantra to kind of live with and kind of hold that in your heart and in your head. Exactly, yeah. It's yeah, very inspiring. And so where to from here? Where do you see yourself in five years? What do you want to be doing? What, you know, yeah, traveling, teaching, educating, supporting, mentoring? Well, actually, I haven't thought of this specifically in five years time from now, but all what I'm looking for is to do effective thing and that improves someone's life. I have to do something. I'm not stopping here. It's not my, my end point. It's not my last thing to do, but I have to keep on going. Even like I was thinking of while I will be working in the field of supporting people, probably refugees mainly, uh, who have been through hardships. And I'm really keen to do masters of psychology or something else like similar to these situations. It's all related to humanity and providing help for people. So this is my passion. It's like, I'm not looking to do something for myself only, but mainly for others. I have one last question. It's Refugee Week this week. And mm -hmm. as you know, the theme of Refugee Week is share a meal, share a story. Mm -hmm. So you're very generously sharing your story with us right now. Um, I also know it's your birthday today. Oh, thank you. And I wanted to ask you what meal you'll be having today to celebrate your birthday and who will you be sharing that with? Well... Probably dolma. It is the most traditional Iraqi meal and uh, probably with the family. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Happy birthday. Thank Happy you birthday. so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Well, thank you for you for having me here. It's been thank wonderful you. to speak with you, Zena, and to hear about your amazing story and some of the fantastic things you've done um, and the challenges you've overcome as well. It's always a pleasure to, to share my experience for people and to, to tell them, like, it's not only your story is the worst, so you have other people's worst stories. So I hope you can get something out of my, my stories for today and you can be inspired of that. Well, thank you for having me again. Thank you. Thanks, Hina. To find out more, visit wsmrc.org.au forward slash SAME. Hey, Hashi, did you know that this podcast is actually funded by the Multicultural New South Wales? No, I did not know. But yeah. did you know? I just found out. <laughs> <laughs> did you also know that Audio Technica has funded much of this podcast as well? No, I did not. Thank you so much for letting me know. Yes, and thank you, Audio Technica and Multicultural New South Wales, for helping us bring the stories of the Western Sydney to the world.